Worthy is the Lamb. We focused on that last week as we were in Revelation 5, and we were there with John in the throne room of heaven, and we were able to look at what was recorded as John saw the Lamb of God who went to the throne, and he who sat on the throne, his father, he took the scroll out of his hand. And everybody in heaven worshiped because they knew finally, finally, what God has willed and planned to take place, to unfold in the culmination of history, the culmination of all that that God wills is now finally going to be ushered in. It's finally going to commence. Redemption, eternal redemption. So this week, we're going to look at what happens once those seven seals of that incredible scroll are broken, the scrolls are unraveled and read, and the events contained within those seals are finally able to happen. The scroll's been taken. The seals are being broken, one by one. And as each one is, It reveals a specific event to take place, and all of it together ushers in the beginning of the end for life as we have known it, and the beginning of life as it was meant to be for all that are in Christ. So the question for generations is, has been, is, will be, when will it end? When will it end? So if the end of the world is, a, is an absolute reality, it's something that's going to take place, when will it end is the, the question that follows. And pretty much every generation since Jesus returned to heaven, every generation since this incredible revelation was given to John and he recorded it and it was passed around, every generation has thought, this must be the end. Just about every single Uh, age, people have thought that. Surely this must be it. We know the end is going to come. This must be it. Things are so bad, this has to be it. There's no way it could keep going. Everybody's thought that. You've thought that. You're thinking it. As you're looking around, various events that continue to take place. But I just want to remind everybody, feeling like the end must absolutely be just right around the corner, is nothing new. Um, I don't even have to go all the way back to the time of John recording this revelation. Uh, I could. It's definitely something that was felt then too. But just over the last century and some change, that mindset, that thinking, that opinion, that outlook, this must be the end, uh, that's probably more on display and, and more shared than perhaps any other time. I want to take you back to 1914, 1914 to 1918, World War I, the Great War, evil on display everywhere, despair, death, 20 million people died worldwide in World War I, and during it, almost every church that met, no doubt, had frequent references to the end of all things, the end of the world, the end of time, 
uh, the return of Christ, and yet it's not what happened. Time went on. Our Savior has not come back yet. Things continue to go on from there. And then, as if World War I wasn't bad enough, 1918, the Spanish flu. Right after World War I is over, Spanish flu occurs. 1918 to 1920, at least 50 million people died, and it could be as high as 100 million, and this was particularly bad with young children. And once again, people thought, oh, this surely has to be it. This completely matches what has been prophesied and foretold would happen. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be pestilence. This has to be it. How could it get any worse? And yet, Jesus did not return. Time went on. 1929 to 1933. I think... We have one with us, at least, who was experiencing some of the Great Depression. Cormie? There's some stories that Cormie can tell you about how he and his sister uh, found food, what they did to find food and get food. It will make you thankful for every single thing you have. Trust me on that. The Great Depression, 25% unemployment rate. 25%. Despair. Depression from the Great Depression. Death. People thought, surely it can't get any worse. This is it. This has to be the end. And yet it wasn't. 1939 came. And from 1939 to 1945, the Great War version 2. World War II. More evil. Even more hatred. Genocide. Holocaust. 75 million people died. And the same things were said again and again. Fast forward quite a bit to 1999. 1999 to 2000. The Y2K panic! Everything is going to be done. Go to your grocery stores and take all the water and all the bread. There's not going to be anything left. Fill up your, your car with gas. Store gas. It's all going to come crashing down. We all pretty much went around singing R.E.M. song. It's the end of the world as we know it. And yet it wasn't. It wasn't the end of the world. Not too far after that, 2001, September 11th. We're going to commemorate that soon. 20-year anniversary. Hard to believe, isn't it? 20 years. Still see it. Don't you? Don't you still see buildings coming down and feel how that felt? Not all of you, I know. Some of you are like, nope, wasn't there. Wasn't here yet. Look it up on YouTube. Hopefully it will impact you as if you were there when it happened. Almost 3,000 died then. Once again, feelings of despair and hopelessness came flooding in. It's got to be the end. How could it get any worse? 2007 to 2009, the Great Recession wasn't quite to the depression levels, but it was close. 10% unemployment. And then, right on the heels of the Great Recession, 2009 to 2010, oink, oink, the swine flu. H1N1. Mass fear. Mass panic. 
Oh, this is it. This has got to be the it. How could it get any worse? Look at all what we just came through and 285,000 deaths worldwide. Yet, once again, Jesus, in his sovereignty and the sovereignty of the Father, remained next to the throne, seated on the throne, continuing to intercede for the saints, but not yet coming to get the saints. Didn't happen yet. Fast forward a little bit to 2012. The Mayan calendar doomsday prophecy. And once again, we said, it's the end of the world as we know it. And yet it wasn't. Things kept on going. Movies were made. Books written. Nothing really happened. 2019 to the present day, COVID. It's estimated that 4.5 million have died up to this point worldwide. And as we see that and all the drama that has come alongside of it and been produced by it, all the political fallout, all the recent riots and anarchy on display and the divisions and the hatred and all that is very, very obvious to all of us, we have, most of us, spent our days and hours and minutes saying, this has to be the end. How could it get any worse? How could Jesus possibly wait any longer? You've thought it. I know you have. You've said it. I've heard you. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with thinking, wow, maybe this is it. Maybe, this, maybe we're at the, ed, the end and the edge of the end, if not at the end. Maybe we're there. Could this be? Nothing wrong with asking those questions. Nothing wrong with wondering and pondering and thinking more intentionally about that. But what I want you to remember and to understand is those questions, as I demonstrated, and I could have gone a lot farther, a lot more detailed, those questions have been asked by many, many, many people for many decades and years and centuries. When will it end? How will we know? Those questions were asked very specifically by Christ's disciples before he went to the cross as his time on earth with them was coming to an end. And those questions and those thoughts are recorded for us in just very uh, intimate and personal detail in this, this conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. Matthew chapter 24 records this. Matthew 24 Verses 1 through 8, starting with verse 1, it says, As Jesus left and was going out of the temple, his disciples came up and called his attention to its buildings. They were sightseeing, and they said, look, look at these incredible buildings. Look at the capitals on these buildings. Look at how beautiful this is. Wow, Jesus, isn't this incredible? In verse 2, he replied to them, Do you see all these things? Yeah, they're, they're impressive, aren't they? Truly I tell you, not one stone will be left here on another that will not be thrown down. That was a direct and specific prophecy for the destruction of the temple at the hands of the Romans, which did happen in A.D. 70. And where they burned the temple, it was burned so hot that the gold of the temple 
liquefied and came down in the recesses of all the, the blocks around the temple. And so to get at that gold, the general in charge, Titus, commanded his troops to take every stone apart from the temple to access the gold that had gone down in the crevices. So it was a direct, detailed, very specific fulfillment of what Jesus directly prophesied would happen right here. And then it goes on. Verse 3 says, While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately and said, Tell us, when will these things happen? And the these things that they want to know about is connected to what he said would happen with the temple, not one stone being uh, left intact in this great temple complex that they were so amazed by and impressed with. That's directly what they were referring to. When will these things, that destruction that you, you prophesied, when will that happen? But then, in, in rapid succession, just like... Um, you've seen kids do when they're either really worried about something or really, really excited. They'll ask you a question, and then before you can answer it, they immediately follow it up by another question and another one, right? Like in, in kind of a frantic mode. That's what we see here. So they say, well, when will those things happen? Oh, and, and what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So they went right to that. Because in their minds, and just about every Jewish mind, if the temple was going to be destroyed yet again, that must signify the end of the age. Because throughout their history, when their temple had been destroyed, it was the end of life and the world as they knew it. Because it ushered in exile and judgment and doom. So they're thinking the same thing. When will these things happen? And, and connected to that, what is the sign of your coming and of the, the end of the age? It's a very, some very good questions. And Jesus went right to those questions to answer he didn't even answer the first one about the, the specific destruction of the temple. Verse 4, Jesus replied to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. In other words, boys, don't confuse, and beyond the boys I'm talking to right, right in front of me, Jesus is saying, all of you who are going to be my followers, all of my disciples, all that will hear these statements, don't be alarmed and don't think that when these things, these specific things that he just said, start to happen. Don't confuse those things with the end. Because he says the end is not yet. Very important detail connected to those specific events that he just described. Verse 7, for nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And then another incredibly important statement, verse 8. All these events, all that he just described, are the beginning of labor pains. They're the contractions. They're not the actual birth. And you women out there, oh my goodness, you guys are, are warriors for what you endure and go through. Especially when you have long, long labors. 
when those contractions start and they just stay, but nothing happens. I have not experienced that. But I have experienced my wife going through that, and especially when with uh, our first child, with Aubrey, very, very long labor, right, Leanne? Lots of nice, wonderful contractions. No, not nice at all. So the beginning of labor pains, they do signify things are starting to happen. And labor is going to occur at some point in the not-so-distant future, but it's not here yet. It's the signs that things are getting ready. It's the sign that a birth is on its way, but it hasn't happened yet. Jesus says, all those things that I just described, that's what those are as it relates to the actual end, as it relates to the great time of of trial, the great tribulation, the wrath of the Lamb and of the one on the throne and the second coming of Jesus. All those things are leading up to that. So, the beginning of labor pains or the birth pains or some of your translations might refer to it as the birth pangs or the beginning of sorrows. And what Jesus said here in Matthew 24 particularly in verse 4 through 7, verses 4 through 7, as an answer to what the disciples were asking, those birth pains that he calls them, that completely corresponds to, it, it relates to, it connects to, it parallels the first four seals, which is the beginning of sorrows, in Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. So, remember, we we looked at this last week. The scroll is in the hand of God the Father on His throne. And there was a search that went out to find who would be worthy to take the scroll and open it and read it and start the things happening that are locked away, sealed into that scroll. No one was found. And so John started weeping. But an elder came to him and said, Don't weep. Don't weep. Look. Look. The Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is worthy. He is overcome. And then there was the Lamb instead of the Lion. And it was the Lamb of God. And he went and he took the scroll out of the Father's hand. And it was Jesus. And everybody worshipped and praised and celebrated what was about to happen. Now, in chapter 6 of Revelation, the first seal is about to be opened. And John sees it opened. He sees that seal broken. And then the things that come after it, and each seal after it in rapid succession gets broken, and more is revealed, and more happens. It's a chain of events, chain reaction. So the birth pains that Jesus described in Matthew 24 completely connects to the first four seals or the beginning of sorrows, and particularly the four horsemen. I'm sure you've heard some sort of reference to the four horsemen, right? Raise your hand if you've heard about that in some way, some form, whether it's biblical or in media and entertainment. Don't pay attention so much to that one, the media and the entertainment. But yeah, that phrase, that concept, that's familiar. So Revelation 6, 1 through 8 is where we see these seals start to be broken and open. And I, I need you to keep in mind the connection to what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 24. All right, let's go. Let's get into it. Revelation 6, 1 through 8, the first seal. John is still there in heaven. He's still at that scene and he's seeing all this unfold. And he re- records this, verse 1. Then I saw the Lamb open one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. 
These were one of those special angels with the six wings. And they say, come. And they're not saying come to John. He's already there. He's already seeing. This come, this command is to someone else. And here's who that someone else was. Verse 2. I looked and there was a white horse giving the appearance of, think of like a white knight. And this represents righteousness and peace and safety. But it's just giving the appearance of that. There was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, but notice it doesn't say and arrows, which likely is an illusion of peace. He's carrying a bow without the means to hurt, without the means to wound, trying to give the illusion of peace. But it is just an illusion. A crown was given to him. He didn't already have a crown himself. He didn't by rights have a crown. He wasn't naturally by rights royalty and and didn't have that already. It had to be given to him. It had to be granted to him by someone else. It wasn't already his. And this crown, this was the Stephanos. This was a a crown of uh, achievement. This was what was given to people that won a, a contest in an athletic game. Think like the Olympics. And the master of ceremonies would give the Stephanos to the people who, who overcame in that competition or that contest. This is not the diademus, the royal crown that Jesus himself has on his head by rights that is his naturally, that he appears with later in Revelation. Totally different thing. The Stephanos was far inferior, inferior to the Diademus. So that's what he had. It was given to him, placed on him. And he went out as a conqueror in order to conquer. Peace was promised. Peace partially provided but obviously stopped somewhere along the line and destroyed. And this mysterious person, this mysterious writer, it parallels what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 4 and 5, when Jesus said, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Messiah, and they will deceive many. That connects with what John is seeing here this white horse that gives the appearance of a white knight, righteous and full of peace and holding a bow without arrows. But he went out as a conqueror to conquer. Someone that tries to look like the Prince of Peace but isn't. Someone that gives the appearance of peace but instead of peace conquers. I wonder who that sounds like. Well, though it's not explicit, and so we can't be just completely dogmatic because Scripture is not completely dogmatic, and we have to be careful that we are not dogmatic where Scripture is not, but it seems very, very likely, probable, that this mysterious figure is the appearance of what is known as the Antichrist on the world stage, ushering in the start of the Great Tribulation, the seven-year period. And in Daniel 9, that's referenced. And we know from Daniel's prophecy and the 70 weeks that the Antichrist will come and appear 
as a man of peace, and the world will be desperate for peace, and, and a worldwide leader to take charge of all the chaos that has happened, and they'll be hungry for solidarity, and they'll look to this, this person that promises to have all the answers and to give peace, and they'll welcome him with open arms, and everything is going to go great for a while. He'll make a peace treaty with Israel, and end the conflicts. There will actually be peace in the Middle East for a while. But in the middle of that agreement, three and a half years in, he breaks the treaty and he ends up conquering and he ends up betraying Israel and just horrible, horrible things follow after that. So again, it seems very likely that what he sees is the introduction of the Antichrist and what comes next in his wake just adds to that being likely and more probable. So that's the first seal. The second seal, verse 3. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And verse 4, then another horse went out. So see, they're being commanded. They don't have power and authority in and of themselves. They don't get to just do whatever they want. They have to be given permission and granted authority. Heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse went out, a fiery red one, and its rider was allowed, key word, to take peace from the earth so that people would slaughter one another. And a large sword was given to him. And so anarchy, chaos, civil war, which comes right on the heels of that first horse and rider. The one that, sh- that, that showed himself to be a person of peace, but then showed something else entirely different. And right after that, what happens? Peace is taken from the earth. Coincidence? I don't think so. It's connected. This, this second um, rider, this horse and the rider, and this second seal, it parallels, again, what Jesus said in Matthew 24 in verse 6, and then also the first part of verse 7. He said, You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see that you're not alarmed because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. People are going to slaughter one another. Revelation 6.4. See the connections? See how it parallels? A large sword that was given to him. Then the third seal is opened, verse 5, when he opened the third seal. And remember, the he is Jesus. He's the one opening these seals. He's breaking these seals. And and that part of the scroll is unraveling, and it's red, and then these events are taking place. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and there was a black horse, and its rider held a set of scales in his hand. Then I heard something like a voice among the four living creatures say, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. That's a day's wage. A whole day's worth of payment. And this was at least 12 times the price that normally you'd find for a quart of wheat and three quarts of barley. All that you would make use to make just a single loaf of bread. A loaf of bread from these ingredients. And it was 12 times the normal price, an entire day's wage. This completely points to what we would refer to as another Great Depression. Complete downturn economically. 
resources scarce, massive hyperinflation, which usually follows the events that took place just from that second seal. War, anarchy, chaos. See, it all, it all connects. It's all like dominoes. So there's the price of those ingredients. But then it says, do not harm the oil and the wine, which usually only the very wealthy had anyway. And so it looks like the rich continue to rely on their own security. And the third and the fourth seal, so that was the third seal, and then as we, we're going to look at this fourth seal in just a second, uh, but I want to point out that this seal, the third seal, and the fourth seal both parallel that second part of Matthew 24, 7, where Jesus said, uh, not only will the nations rise up against nation, the kingdom against kingdom, but then he said there will be famine and earthquakes. So that completely parallels with that. So here's the fourth seal. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and there was a pale green horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following after him. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, by famine, by plague, and by the wild animals of the earth. So hopefully, once again, you see that connection with what Jesus said in in Matthew 24. So what we've got, church, is is Jesus at the Olivet Discourse completely giving detailed answers and specific information for what is absolutely going to happen to usher in the end, to usher in the the great period of of tribulation, the seven-year period, the wrath of the Lamb, and it all starts with those seals being opened. And as those seals are opened... When the seventh seal is open, that starts the trumpet judgments, which are worse than the seals. And then once the seal judgments are done, that starts the bowl judgments, which again are even worse. So you go from bad to really bad and to worse yet. But remember, Jesus told his disciples at the end of that statement, Matthew 24, 8, said all these events are the beginning of labor pains. So as these seals are opened, it's just the beginning. It's just what gets things started. We're going to continue next week looking at seals 5 through 7. But what I want you to do is, as you think about the end times, and this is what we should all do, And I would encourage you today or tomorrow or sometime early in the week while it's still fresh, go back and look over these these first four seals and the four horsemen that are part of them and and connect it back to Matthew 24. I, I think it would be really worthwhile for you to spend some time there in Matthew 24, 1 through 8 compared with Revelation 6, 1 through 8 and and just see those connections in more detail for yourself. But as as we think about the end times, we should feel anticipation. We should, absolutely. It's necessary. It's good. As we think about and study and talk about the end times, we should feel anticipation, but not anxiety. Feel anticipation, but not anxiety. We should be prepared, but not panicked. We don't need to run around 
saying, it's the end of the world as we know it. We don't need to be panicked. Be prepared, but not panicked. Why? Why should we anticipate but not be anxious? Why should we be prepared but not panic? How can we do that? Because, and here's what I really, really want you to, to take away. Jesus will control all the end-time events. And, here's the really practical part, and He is in control of our current circumstances. He's going to control all the events of the end times. We've already seen that. He's the one opening the seals. He's breaking the seals of the scrolls. He's the one ushering in the events. He's the one that that foretold those details while He was still on earth. And the same scenes and the same prophecies really can be observed in Daniel, Zechariah. So none of this is random. None of this takes Him by surprise. All of it is within His complete and direct control. He's the one orchestrating all the events that take place. In the seals, in the trumpets that follow the seals, in the bowls, it's all, as He said to His disciples, what must take place. It's all the birth pains that end up resulting in the true culmination of the end and of His second coming and reign on earth and what we know or will know and what we refer to as heaven. So, what about in the meantime? While we wait. While we wait. What do we do while we wait? Well, we trust Him. We trust Him. And we rest in Him. Because, as I just said a minute ago, He's going to control all the end-time events. It's all going to be okay. Because it's all in His control. And in the meantime, in our real time, He is always in control of our current circumstances. No matter how bleak they might, might appear, no matter how hopeless it seems, no matter how overwhelming things feel, and I, I'm with you uh, on that, it can feel really overwhelming, life. Life can be very, very hard, very uncertain, but God is always good and always certain. So while we wait, we trust Him and we rest in Him. We worship Him. We serve Him. And most importantly, we point others to Him. We point others to Him. We, um, thankfully, in, in God's grace, will be spared the great wrath of the Lamb, because we are already ransomed and rescued and covered in the righteousness of the Lamb. And in Revelation 4, we already talked about that, we saw what is likely the church, the rescued, ransomed, raptured church in the form of the 24 elders representing the shifts of the priesthood, already there, already clothed in white, seeing all this unfold, from a heavenly vantage point. But rather than just resting on our safety and our security, church, we need to be very, very intentional and very, very urgent about pointing all those who are not part of the Lamb to the Lamb. Because when this starts to happen, whenever, whenever that first seal is cracked, ripped open, that scroll unravels. Man, 
what the people who are outside of Christ will endure and go through. We shouldn't wish on our worst enemy, and we would need to hate someone very much to not warn them about what is to come. And we do all of these things. We trust, we rest in Him, we worship Him, we serve Him, we point others to Him, ultimately because He is worthy. He is worthy. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for Your Word, and I thank You for giving us in Your Word and revealing to us in Your Word what You want us to know. Help us to be careful. Help us to be very careful. Not to read in to things that you have not put in your word for us to read. Not to assume things that you don't want us to assume. Help us to be careful to not be dogmatic where your word is not dogmatic. But Father, help us to also have wisdom and have awareness and to rely on your Holy Spirit, the great illuminator of your word, as we look into your word and we see what is promised to come about, help us to really pay attention. Help us to anticipate all that you're going to bring about, but not to be anxious. Help us to be prepared, ourselves and and for other people, to help others get prepared for what's going to come whenever you decree it to, to start. Help us to be prepared, but not panicked. We don't need to be if we're in Christ. Help us to remember that, that we who are in Christ ultimately have nothing to fear. And you demonstrated that all through our history. We, we talked about that just briefly here today, all those times where it looked like everything was coming down around us. The end of the world was, was close, but it, it wasn't. It, it kept on going, and, and you were faithful, and you were good, and you were sovereign, and you always will be. Help us to remember that. And while we wait for what we read here and what we continue to read, while we wait for the signs of the times and while we wait for the the calendar of our reality and, and everything that we know to be reality and the world as we know it, while we wait for all that to come to your ordained end, help us to trust you. Help us to rest in you. Help us to worship you with all of our being. Help us to serve you with all of our might and devotion. Help us to proclaim you, to point others to you. And I pray all this with praise. In Jesus' worthy name, amen.